Gonna have a real good time together. We're gonna have a real good time together. We're gonna laugh the child together. Have a real good time together. It's Joker Men. Happy Halloween, folks. I'm Evan. I'm I'm Ian. Eek in. That's right. And uh, I can't think of one for Evan. Eekvin. Yeah. <laughs> Eekvin and Eekin. Um. Well, today we have a very spectacularly special episode in store for That's right. you. Ian, why don't you tell tell the listeners a little bit about what I have concocted the 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 diabolical plan that I've uh, sort of uh, sprung upon you? You woke up like in the pit in the pendulum with a record dangling above your neck, coming right. ever closer. A, a long playing album instead of the uh, shining blade of the pendulum descends inch by inch toward your ear. And what record is that? And that what a, what a what a picture you painted already. Uh, the record was initially going to be Bishbosh. Yeah. Uh, but you gave me a, a a slightly simpler assignment. Oh, by uh, far. A week in advance. <laughs> uh, with, with uh, another Scott Walker slash Walker Brothers, but really Scott Walker, uh, record, uh, which we'll get into. Uh, Night Flights from 1978. The final Walker Brothers record, is that right? That's right. Right. Their swan song. Indeed, yeah. What a way to, what a way to say goodbye. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, I, know, I know this has been a long one coming for you, just like the girls episode was a long one coming for me. I, yeah. will, just, yeah. I will just set the table off the bat for myself uh, and and state plainly that I uh, am a virtual novice uh, to the world of Scott Walker. Uh, I'm familiar with the Night Flights record at this point, um, but virtually nothing else beyond this. And I guess Scott's cover, the cover of um, I Threw It All Away, like that. That's where my knowledge of Scott Walker ends. Um, and I've deliberately kept it that way, at least in this initial instance. Because I realized when we decided we were going to do this like a week ago, I could either try to cram all of it in and like have a very basic understanding of things and like pretend like I knew more than I did, (laughs) or opted for none. I could just I could literally like stay completely virginal beyond these ten songs and just be able to assess what 
I have in front of me on this record and this record alone. Because I think, from what I understand, like sort of the story and the journey of Scott Walker and the Walker Brothers is a big part of the whole kind of Scott Walker mystique, uh, which I'll let you well, kind of uh, expound upon. I, I Yes and no. I think that for the listeners who don't know anything about who we're talking about, the Walker Brothers uh, were a group that were very popular in the early 60s consisted of uh, Scott Walker, Gary Walker, and um, John Walker. That's a, not their actual names. Stage names. Not actual brothers. Uh, that would be Noel Scott Ingle, professionally known as Scott Walker. John Walker, born Joseph Mouse, but using the name Walker since his teens. And Gary Leeds. So, uh, to make a long story short, uh, they charted really hugely with songs like The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore, um, songs like uh, Make It Easy on Yourself. It was almost a boy band. Kind it of was, thing, right? yeah. It was really like One Direction of, of the early 60s. And there was a period where, you know, they were rivaling like the Beatles and stuff in terms of just mm. popularity at that very fleeting moment. And um, the legend goes, you know, that the the Walker brothers eventually, um, well, it became clear that one of them was like kind of a special guy, and that would be Scott Walker. He had a solo career that uh, really took off in the uh, in the sixties, and sort of found him in- increasingly with Scott One, Scott Two, Scott Three, Scott Four. These records. Um, obviously the first one wasn't called Scott one. Um, well, maybe not obvious. It was just Scott. Uh, I respect the, I respect the naming scheme. That's, that's very satisfying to my, uh, Excel brain. Easy. When you get into them, it'll be easy for that reason for you. Just go, uh, Scott one, Scott two, Scott three. Sure. And Scott four. Scott four. Uh, and, uh, till the band comes in and on and on. These are records that increasingly get more and more art, arty. Um, and uh, really start pushing the boundaries of popular music to the point where they, uh, where many did not follow him uh, commercially. I, I mean, this is all boring stuff that you can just know if you just know anything. There's a documentary about Scott Walker. He's probably my favorite artist. And uh, more than Bob, more than Lou, more than John, more than Van. Well, in some ways, he's. The most important artist to me, I would say. Mm. Maybe not favorite because. always. Uh, because these records and the ways that you can see him develop over time are really like, it, it's so what I care about. You know, it's, it's so much um, a journey of seeing an artist use popular music as the, uh, the starting point for... Uh, just stretching that and seeing how far you can go with it, with, with with lyrics that are poetic and mysterious and ways of arranging songs, which increasingly and toward the end of his career became completely original, unlike anything else that anyone was ever doing. It's a a miraculous artistic journey and uh, transformation. Right now, I'm just going to point us toward the late 70s. Scott's solo career has dried up, basically. 
the Walker brothers actually like were not they weren't doing so well either. There was actually like a, a, a fake Walker brothers for a time where where it was the new Walker brothers with a faux Scott Walker um, that John was uh, playing around with. After Scott went solo and started to, you know, uh, uh, fail to sell records on his own, brought back, the you know, put the band back together, tried to recapture some of that early 60s magic and was not able to do so, uh, commercially speaking, at least. You know, the Walker brothers, I think they were in a position of like knowing that they really weren't going to make a splash commercially. This was their last go at it. I think they knew it was their last record. Um, and so Scott said something to the effect of like, let's just all of, all of us be as indulgent as we want with, you know, doing each of us just do whatever we want. And thank God that he felt that way because something about maybe having this, um, his, you know, his fortunes, his personal life um, it was really troubled from the little light that's out there, you know, that he was really um, dependent on drugs and alcohol. and it seemed like he was just kind of about to be washed up for good. Um, and then maybe just the, the threat or the, the, the chance to, of, of failure, you know, like knowing that you're able to do whatever you want because it's not going to be a success. It's very beautiful how sometimes that's the thing that gets you to really try, Mm. you know, just, you give up on the idea of just getting by when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing, you got to nothing lose. to lose and everything <laughs> to gain though. And it's very clear listening to it, that this is just absurd to have exist. Uh, because those first four songs are like God tier. And then the rest <laughs> I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be playing the Evan role in this episode and adopting the contrarian takes that make everyone get mad and say that rhythms of vision and fury and the fire are actually better than the electrician and shut out. (laughs) Oh my god. You can't be serious. I'm not serious, no. Um Well, are we getting into it? Are we doing it? great song it's a banger yeah it, it's an absolute banger those dr- that kit those drums just the way it comes in it's so confident and um menacing you already get a sense of this uh the vibe that really runs through the whole record even like, even the last songs a little bit they're like if, if <laughs> it's like 
this record is like a a cocktail where you let it sit and the ice just starts to dilute it and dilute it and dilute it. Right. And yeah. at first it's so strong. It's absinthe. And uh, by the end, yeah. it's like slightly pale green water. It's a whiskey soda that someone made the wrong way. Like they filled up a glass with ice and club soda like 90% of the way. And then they poured the whiskey on top and then just drank it. So when you're taking your first couple sips, it's just pure straight to the gut alcohol. And then by the end of it, it's just flat, lukewarm club soda that you don't want anything to do with. Uh, but shutout is uh, really, you know. It's fire, as as the kids say. Throw out those gimmicks to the boys. Yeah. That so that's a that's that is one of the points that I um, I uh, found interesting, or or that I uh, think is is noteworthy for, to um, remark on. For me, again, just knowing night flights and nothing nothing beyond this, um, as like as sonically impressive as as this music is, like the, the Scott songs uh, are are. Um, I find them sort of hard to approach or like oh, sort of yeah. like connect connect with. And I feel like part of that is because, uh, like I was saying, there's this whole long kind of decades uh, uh, long uh, saga of him evolving from this teen heartthrob to the guy who makes Tilt and Bishbosh. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, that journey and that evolution over the years, like that, that is what kind of uh, lends this whole story an emotional angle. Yeah. Um, but not being familiar with that myself or being dialed into it to the level that you are, these are more songs that, again, sound amazing and, and I can really dig, um, but it's just, it's like, it's songs that are, that sound amazing and I can dig, and, like, that's kind of, that's where I'm appreciating well, at the moment. Well, I, I think that the the lyrics are, you know, basically indecipherable. And is this is this like... Uh, are is this lyrical style? I obviously I would imagine this is different than what it was. I'm gonna, earlier I'm gonna in tell career. you, and I wish you had listened to a little bit of Scott Walker before we recorded this. <laughs> but I'll give you the whole, uh, you know, uh, the picture as as best as I can just express it. Um, the the way that he started, I mean, the early Walker Brothers stuff, it was just pop songs, basically. <laughs> You know, big, right. boisterous, full, full orchestrated, a um, lot of covers, um, just these confectionery uh, pop escapades. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're really fun and satisfying. And they have a lot in common with a, a lot of stuff we like. And, and with certain songs from like John, like uh, I'm Not the Loving Kind, you know, could have been a, a Walker Brothers song. Um, mm. And... Then Scott discovers Jacques Brel. Longtemps après, mes fils de bourgeois, fils d'apôtres, tous les enfants sont comme les vôtres, fils de César, fils de rien, tous les enfants sont comme le tien, le même sourire, les mêmes larmes, les mêmes alarmes. Fils de César ou fils de rien 
and this kind of is like his Woody Guthrie, basically. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jacques Brel, Belgian uh, French language singer, incredible performer, intense and vivid um, image based songwriting. And, and kind of a Serge Gainsbourg ish sound, right? The sound is less important than the way that you actually you have to just see the way that he does these songs. Um, sure. But the lyrics too are incredible. Um, and Scott covered a lot of these and then his career just keeps becoming more and more about songs like that and writing songs that are kind of based on this art song uh, style that, that becomes so much more about painting a picture and, and really playing with language, doing things that were basically like, like street hassle, really street hassle, the song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or certain things that uh, John Cale would do, the, these really ambitious songs, and they just ke- keep getting more an- ambitious. And he keeps trying different things, and he keeps stretching and pushing the poetry of them. And he starts writing songs that have the feel of something like Sinatra, but the lyrics start becoming just pure poetry. Okay. And didn't you know that I'm not the world? Strongest man when it comes to you and your world on love walls. Can't you see the towers of my naked shine like a dime? Take me back again to your warm desire. So this is the point where that he just comes right back in your face with this n- not even a t- an attempt to make it like decipherable in a in a conventional way he's just clearly been on some shit on his own thing for a while now you're right to detect that and this is not only him coming full force at you with that but in this ghoulish nighttime rock music right yeah, very kind of, and I was actually gratified to read this. Uh, he was listening to a lot of Heroes and Low at the time. Yeah. And like that had, those had just come out and he was really digging them. And that influenced a lot of what he did here on Night Flights. And then Night Flights in turn, I think he sent it to Bowie. And then Bowie took a lot of this and put it into Lodger. Bowie also covered Night Flights later in the 90s. Right, right. And Bowie has, you know, that's a really important point to make. Bowie also was a huge fan of Jacques Brel. Um they have this in common. The time I did it in New York was in 1973. Um, it's by Jacques Brel. Now, I've done this thing as a march, tango, waltz, uh, bossa nova. Tonight we just do it with piano. It's called uh, My Death. And really, Scott Walker was an idol to David Bowie. He was, um, you know, there's this clip of uh, David Bowie on the radio, on the BBC or something. It's his birthday, and Scott Walker gives him a birthday message. <laughs> of course, not everybody wanted to ask you questions, David. Some just had a really sort of personal message that they wanted to deliver by Carrie Pigeon. Oh, no. Hi, David. This is Scott Walker. I'm coming to you via a very crappy old handheld tape machine, so I hope it's all right. I'm going to be a devil today and not ask you any questions. I'm certain that among the many messages, there'll be those about how you always embrace the new and how you freed so many artists. And this is, of course, true. Like everyone else, I'd like to thank you for all the years, and especially for your generosity of spirit when it comes to other artists. I've been the beneficiary on 
more than one occasion, let me tell you. So have a wonderful birthday. And by the way, mine's the day after yours. So I'll have a drink to you on the other side of midnight. How's that? That's, that's amazing. Oh, I see God in the window. <laughs> <laughs> He's the boss, isn't he, Scott Walker? Um, You've absolutely got to love him. You've really got to me down, I'm afraid. <laughs> that's, uh, I think he's probably been uh, my idol since I was a kid. Uh, that's very moving. I want a copy of that. <laughs> <laughs> you can have it. You can take it away. I'm absolutely... Uh, that's, that's really thrown me. That's... Uh, Thank you very much. Wow. All right. I mean, it, it's really hard for me just to like put all this out there in one episode because I, I really makes me feel like there is a future of talking about uh, Scott Walker album by album, whether you're going to do it with me or not. But uh, <laughs> there, the, the point of talking about this record in particular, rather than Bish Bosh, you know, can you, I can't even imagine how much I'd have to fucking, it would be impossible. Right. But this record, you kind of represent the, the public at large and how, uh, you know, nobody was expecting or able to understand what they're right. presented with here. It was, this is just a record on the shelves and you start it up and it is so not like any other record on the shelves. And, there is that relationship between Bowie and Scott Walker. And of course, then, you know, that extends to Eno and Kale and it all is kind of connected um, in, in this way. Uh, yeah. That's really hard. And it influences, you know, they influence each other. There's things that Scott does that heavily influence things that Bowie will do decades later. There's a case to be made that all of that, later stuff really i mean it starts here i mean it really starts in the 60s with scott's solo records but this is a turning point moment where uh it's like he's left the ground there's no going back and it is fittingly called night flights okay well so if i'm under if i'm hearing you correctly and uh i think that i am uh the lyrical content of the mute like the the looking for an emotional hook in this music the way that I look for that in uh, Coney Island Baby or <laughs> in <laughs> uh, I'm Not the Loving Kind or in fucking anything, uh, Dark Heat, anything from Bob. That, like, that's not here in the way that it is on those records. Well, it's not, it's not here at all in that way. What's here, I think the best way to understand or try to approach Scott Walker's lyrics, especially on these songs, is honestly, in a similar way to certain things Bowie would do. If you listen to Low, you know, th there's a lot of abstract lyricism. Sure, yeah, old Second Sign, obviously, or like V2 Schneider from Heroes or something. A lot of it is just sort of like words yeah. to fill the kind of uh, uh, space in the songs. Or, you know, sections of like Ulysses that are kind of jumblings of words and ideas together. I think that that is closer to what Scott Walker is doing than anything, you know, Dylan is doing. Um, it's, sure. it's really a different kind of literary uh, approach to rock music, unconcerned with, with being um, anything but, you know, just shooting for straight poetic 
stuff. Um, yeah, l- lyrically for me, coming coming to this cold and not having any sort of uh, familiarity with Jacques Brel, for instance, um, it it struck me. Obviously, musically, it sounds a lot like you know Lone Heroes, and lyrically, I see a lot of like Eno's solo records. Yes, in this where like you know King's Lead Hat or fucking exactly, uh, I'll come running. You know these these songs that like. There isn't like a standard kind of poetry to them in the way that, you know, a a Bob song might have, but the way that the words combine with the music uh, yields this sort of uh, greater than the sum of its parts uh, response. um, African Night Flights by uh, David Bowie on Lodger. Uh, On Lodger, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that is so much closer, you know, that's a crazy song that is just this rapid fire proto wrapping of chaotic images and and um that has a lot more in common with this too and and of course yeah you know um especially those early you know records there's there's a lot of that um i think that scott walker is basically the the one that everyone has to catch up to when it comes to that hmm. you're just thrown right into the deep end i mean when it comes to his lyrics here right it's also worth uh, remarking on it for me, at least uh, his, his his literally his like his sing like his vocals his singing style, which is real. And here again, you can educate me and educate you know the the listeners that uh, aren't as uh, familiar with Scott. But like, is this because it's a really striking kind of way that he's singing? Here. Is this how his voice has always sounded? Like back to the beginning? Oh or, yeah, because I feel like he's. It's it, it would be surprising to me if that's the case because this really seems sort of affected and um, like he's really trying to do something with the way that he's singing these songs, especially compared to fucking Gary and John on the later ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, he sounds like Scott Walker here, but there's it's really a, deep theatrical kind of voice. No, that's him. That's okay, a, all right. You really didn't hear a, a, a I did. I told you stitch. I didn't listen to it. Okay. I didn't listen to a second. The way that he sings is is yeah a uh, hyper theatrical the baritone, um, which is you know an iconic sound. But even beyond that, like I, it sounds like his vocals are like there's the, these harmonies here are what really kill me. Like, right, the harmonies on these four songs are like these intervals or like I don't know exactly the uh, music theory terminology, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're very peculiar, and I I think they're great, and it's like a doubled vocal that. But it's doubled in this way where that adds the spectral quality to everything he's singing. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Exactly. He's he's clearly like backing himself here. There's like a multi-track vocal and it sounds like both of them are coming from him. Um, and yeah, there's there's sort of a ghostly kind of feel, like, yeah, supernatural almost uh, yeah. sort of feeling that you get listening uh, to him, especially when you hear the later vocals where it just sounds like fucking weak tea, man, <laughs> compared oh, to what... Oh, well, it is. <laughs> but nothing can compare to this, really. It's like a seesaw where on one side is a cruise ship and the other side doesn't fucking matter what's on the other side. Sure. Why, why wasn't it so like, because the next record after this is Climate of Hunter, right? And that's not for like six more years, which is his solo second debut, basically, in the new version of Scott Walker. Yeah, the post Night Flights version, which that record, if you think this one is hard to decipher, I mean, it's a whole album of that, basically. Right. And it's, uh, it is incredibly 
I mean, it's a whole other thing. It it does not have a lot of emotional uh, hold points. But there's, you know, listen, we've gotten enough emotion on this show with all these other artists. I'm done with that sappy shit. I don't I don't want to say that, though, because I want to be clear that the thing that keeps me really interested and enthralled is that these clearly are songs that are about the world and about about the experience, the human experience. And really, they speak to the ways in which you can't really talk about certain things. They they push the medium so far by acknowledging that, like, well, this is the place to do that. Like, if this is a song and this is music and this is like this is a place for lyrics and where else do you have the opportunity to really explore where that can go? Rock music is, you know, and ought to be the place for figuring that out and finding that out. Yeah, He is one of the great literary figures of rock music. If not, I, I would say he's basically the James Joyce of rock music. I think he's, he's that important. Wow. He's, he's just really out there charting un, uncharted territory um, right. for rock music. You know, his influence... Which, you know, he's very generous about Bowie's influence. He's, like, really grateful in that little clip about how much Bowie has freed so many artists and that we've all benefited from that. And Bowie is somebody who, like, you know, you can play a Bowie song. You could be playing anything for anyone. Like, for your parents, you could be playing uh, Billy Joel. You could be playing... Uh, there he is again. A, a different, a different <laughs> artist. William Joel strikes again. <laughs> you, uh, you could be playing any, uh, anything, and then play a Bowie song. Uh. And after you play a certain Bowie song, it might take two strategically placed Bowie songs. But after that, you can play anything because Bowie somehow is like this gateway where he he serves as that thing that like frees up people to accept more from rock music he he's like a door and on the other side of that door if you keep going for a while you'll find scott walker yeah i see a little bit of uh just to keep uh, naming other kind of reference points for me i see a little bit of behar here too lyrically where the like the lines don't always make perfect complete sense you know, in the way that he's, uh, in, in the way you're trying to read him. Why don't you give us some of these lyrics? Well, Shut Out is cool because it is seemingly about aliens, maybe? Something attacked the Earth last night with a kick that man habit eye. With a kick that man habit eye. Don't even know like, kick like that how man those. Habit. Yeah, I don't know how those words even relate to one another. Uh, Cut sleep tight boys who dreamed and dreamed of a city like the sky. There were faces bobbing in the heat for some rising from her zone, moving, hitting, holding on for the promise to to carry carry us home home. in the shutout. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Again, don't know what the shutout is, but I I dig it when I hear him. How will we know the great doll? Great doll, yeah. In the shutout, in the shutout. I kept thinking it was great, great dawn. See, I thought uh, it was for a while, and then I looked at it more closely, and it's the great, the doll. great doll. And I believe in the <laughs> in the actual liner notes, it, that part is in the, just "great doll" is in it's all caps, bold cap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure, that's the most important part. Just "great doll" is in all caps. The great doll. I mean, these are extremely disquieting and weird lyrics that 
just come at you with the force of a train. It's like a nightmare or a dream. Like a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's like living like an actor <laughs> on Elm Street. Uh, anyway, that's Shut Out. I mean, it also features one of the most fucking blisteringly hot, hot guitar solos I've ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, the, the guitar's on fire, and the drums are also just killing it. Like, this sounds like it could be the, the, the percussion track for a disco song, and just, like, people getting down on the dance floor, and everything else does not sound like that necessarily, but, like, it makes you want to boogie. Yeah, well, this makes you want to do something. Uh, it, it, the, the feeling with this song is that it's making some kind of, like, some entity want to boogie. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't even really want to know. What kind of boogieing gets Yeah, some done. sort of love, Lovecraftian, like extra dimensional horror that you can't even interpret with your own human senses. Like, well, what if this sound is in service of like uh, of some really far out there ideas, and it sort of like re-energizes the whole uh, the the music with this purpose that becomes much more um, much deeper and more mysterious, and that only continues with um, the next song. Fat Mama Kick. Shake, shake, mama, the big shaking ass. Shake, shake, mama, like a ship going out to sea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's also some fucking. I'm listening to it now. There's also some fucking Van Dyke Parks in here to me. Like these these words that like kind of smash together to sound like different words. And like if you read them on the page, they have one meaning. But if you hear them through the music, yeah, that's exactly that same kind of feeling. Like, did you notice that he says we must freeze off this ratmosphere? Right. (laughs) That's like foxygen. (laughs) (laughs) Ratmosphere. Crazy. Um, Fat Mama Kick. This song just sounds fucking horrifying to me. You think that? Uh, yeah, it's very unsettling. Uh, it's mostly just Scott and drums and like some sort of weird, like whirring, whirling kind of like buzzing sound. 
and then it explodes into this ima- like Im- imag- or imaginative imaginary uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly sort of uh, then, all the, then fuck, all the other instruments just kind of like explode into view it's at a sax once. solo that's like yeah there's the sax but there's also some sort of organ on there and the guitars and the two and backs just, I believe which is that like h- horrific low saxophone um yeah it's so menacing and, and freaky. Um, His vocals have like a really metallic kind of quality to him. Like, like I yes. almost picture like a robot singing them or something. Or like, uh, you know, some sort of like AI or something. Like something that isn't human, not alien necessarily, but like, like there's some sort of manufactured quality to it. Which feels very deliberate, but like I'm just I'm trying to place like why it sounds so kind of and there's also that, that rushing like rumbling in the background. Um, sun fighters locked in right angle rooms watch their lovers sleep face down in the yellow light keep the balance on the back curve till the war with the night is over night seems to reoccur I think he mentioned night in all of the, all four of the songs yeah um, which at least based on the lyric sheet that I'm reading it's always N-I-T-E so clearly he's got some sort of mini concept album thing going on here um, I don't know if you have uh, one of your patented uh, theories about that. I don't really, but um, I do know that the songs feel really connected in some way um, thematically. And I think that, I, I mean, for me, it you could just really try to like understand what's being said, but I think the images are so powerful and compelling that I don't even, they they open up this space for me where it's like, it's that creepy feeling of, something in a dream feeling really familiar. It's like the thing in Mulholland Drive of like, I would never want to see that in real life. And then, mm. and then you see it. And I think that he writes songs about things like that. I think he writes a lot about historical moments of extreme pain that kind of wear away at the fabric between one reality and the next. And he is writing songs that kind of, by the way he uses language um, and, and you know, terms. This is something that get, that's more and more accelerated as he keeps going in his late career. But you really mm. start to feel it here, is that, that these songs kind of are about and um, within the space where time itself starts to break down and it's these intense feelings and sensations and sort of principles of the universe that are common and just under the surface. Uh, And you can't write about shit like that with normal lyrics. (laughs) Bob Dylan, I think, does honestly sort of do something similar, but from a totally different way, like by using things from different time periods, but, um, you know, packaging them in a way that has much more humor and much more um, of a, a human quality and I think Scott Walker is really using his uh, music and his lyrics to suggest that those things aren't always human that there's something unknown about the way things work which you know this is why I picked it as a Halloween episode <laughs> because it's not just spooky. It, it can be actually scary. Right. It can be 
disturbing in ways that are, uh, you know, right up next to the reasons why something is, you know, transcendently great. More disturbing than something like the Monster Mash, for instance, which is typically what you think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you asked for my grand theory about. Something. No, I listen. I I wanted to try to clear the runway here and just let you, let let you, do what you got to do here. So I'm glad that we're getting some of that. Um, what do you think the fat mama kick is? You cannot risk the fat mama kick. Kick could mean die. That you cannot risk that the fat mama die. You know, uh. to kick. Um, and that's another, that's the thing Scott does a lot is these double meanings of words or like colloquialisms that he uses mm. in a different context, which again, points to that thing of like, you know, if Bob Dylan is like referencing a song and, and sort of quoting a lyric from a song, doing that, uh, you know, in a way that kind of leads you toward like these common things that like, oh, this song has that in common with that. and this period of time he's kind of referencing has this in common with that scott actually is way more granular but does something similar and like what john kale does you know why by covering heartbreak hotel um scott walker actually on the drift the beginning of the song jesse on the drift is um a two chord uh sequence um and it's a tone it's it's tuned down it's like really watery and murky and and dark sounding and um it's it's a song that is about Elvis and his twin brother his stillborn twin brother right Jesse who he uh, is alleged to have talked to um like an imaginary friend in moments of distress and it's also a song about 9-11. <laughs> and that that chord, that, that little thing at the beginning, is actually the first chords of Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> Something very uh, approachable and easy, easy to understand and appreciate. That's one of the easier ones to understand. It's one that he's talked more about in, than he's let on about others. But, you know, that is... We can retroactively look at these songs. Once you have really taken a dive into that later stuff, you start to see that these early ones have a lot of attempts toward that. And he actually has ref- goes to on to refine and like um, work on that type of songwriting. And that like using that, uh, like quoting from Elvis there, you know, is that's really not far off from stuff we've been talking about. Like the whole idea of using uh, Heartbreak Hotel um, as a, as a, for John and, and, uh, Mm. you know, we could go on, but like talk about murder most foul, you know, this is something that's like all about using a historical moment of great pain to, take you know jump off from there and talk about so much more than that um and you know that song jesse is about 9-11 and it has like so many parallel things that work in the in the favor of expressing that you know like the idea of a twin the idea of 
Elvis and his importance as like an American icon, there's things that like once you grab a hold of them, it starts to really open up and uh, it becomes really intense. I don't know what Fat Mama Kick is about. <laughs> <laughs> The next song is Night Flights. An easy one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, the, probably the banger of the four as far as I'm concerned. It fucking rocks. Yeah, it really sounds like, uh, you know, the, those shimmering kind of strings and, uh, and uh, I guess, what is that? That's some sort of synthesizer or something? Uh, yeah. Some sort of, you know. And that, mo- that bass, too. That yeah. fretless. Doo, doo, doo. Doo, doo, yeah. Doo. yeah, really beautiful. It, it real. This one really has like a very strong heroes. Yeah, it's like, like heroes, his heroes. The song kind of vibe to me. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And goes and it ends up going in a different direction, obviously. But um, you know, gives you that same. Gives me at least that same kind of like, you know. All right, I'm I'm in here. I, I dig it. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, and not to be all gloom and doom about what Scott Walker writes about. I mean, often it is, but it's also often accompanied with a sense of humor on some level but also punctuated by these moments that are so beautiful and sublime um and kind of really stand out because of how they're contrasted against like the most pitch black uh subject matter and sounds mm. and night flights is uh one of these songs fact that it sounds so infectious and exhilarating is um i i love that it just takes you along it li- it really does just like whisk you along and you're suddenly like on board for something where the lyrics you know have like what that's the power of music baby even if you don't know what the fuck they're talking about even even if the the, the artist himself doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about it uh, it still sweeps you up and and brings you along and uh, gets down India. That's why we love it. There are some great lyrics though. Um, the uh, <laughs> the raw meat fist you choke has hit the bloodline. <laughs> the bloodline, which again I always thought was blood bloodline. Line. Yeah, yeah, it's not. 
I thought it was for a long, a long time too. All right, I'm glad. That, I'm glad I'm not the only. I'm no. the, the newbie is not the only one no, with no. these. These there's uh, a lot takes. of those, and it's because they're so specific. These little things, these details in the lyrics, um, right? And they're so specific in a way that, like, at least for me, I keep coming back to them, thinking maybe I'll get something this time. Because sometimes I do. Like there are times. With with songs by Scott Walker in his later career, where I I actually think just a couple instances after many listenings that I've pieced something together about what he was really doing with like two words, you know, at like sure. opposite ends of the song, mm-hmm. um, and those moments are like so satisfying when when you get the sense that oh like there's a kind of sense to this that um. You know, it's it's not just about being spooky and scary or about being like a weird guy writing weird songs. <laughs> like I remember showing people, uh, showing a friend of mine uh, some of the later Scott stuff. And he was like, this sounds this like Dracula music. This just sounds like <laughs> fucking Dracula singing. He's uh, one of the universal horror stable he's he's like the creature of the black lagoon or the money yeah. but it's scott walker is really Boris writing Karloff about could have played him you know, literal universal <laughs> horror <laughs> um glass traps open and close on night flights the raw meat fist you choke has hit the bloodlines That refrain, I think, is, is the most effective part of the song. Only one promise, only one way to fall on yeah. the night flights, on the night flights. Again, like I mean, that's like pretty easy to understand what each of those words means. Divorced of context, in context, who knows? But it still is a really kind of uh, a strong and impactful line, especially paired with the way this song sounds, with the, just those shimmering strings from beginning to end are beautiful. It's, there's a reason why uh, Bowie covered this. I mean, it... Yeah, it rocks. You, you just feel that, like, connection so strongly um, to heroes. Be my love, we will be gods on night flights. It really feels like they're talking about something similar. Yeah. Um, I think on the note of hero, I think I read uh, uh, that there was, there was, there were set before Clement Hunter, there were some sort of sessions held with Eno and Dan Lan as producers for a Scott solo record. Daniel Lanois. Both of them. Yeah. That oh, didn't, wow. that didn't work out. And so they, you know, just shelved them and, and well, you know, never saw the light Something day, about like, climate of Hunter uh, apparently is that when it was made, he would have each session musician play a part without knowing anything about what the other p- people were playing. Perfect. So they like literally had music and it'd be like a baseline and they didn't know what was happening in the song. <laughs> None of them did. Uh. 
Because he didn't want them to have this feeling. You know, it was actually trying to get rid of... It's He's the opposite of Bob Dylan. Like, he right. really is. There's If Bob Dylan is like, let's go in there and tell a story and ramble on, and if it doesn't work, then we're doing another one. Scott Walker is like picking out the exact shade of rust on, on an axe that would have been used to cut someone's head off by way of playing a guitar solo that sounds like that. Bob is trying to capture this ephemeral moment in the studio that, to the best of his ability, just sort of uh, uh, reproduces the magic that is conjured by this particular group of players playing this music together at this moment in time. And Scott is like, if there was a way to get the instruments to play themselves without even having a human being behind them, totally would be his preference. It's true. And it's why a lot of, you know, much has been made of the later records having these, what, you know, you could think of as, it's just sounds like literally the thing itself, like two giant scimitars being um, scraped together or, you know, infamously uh, like a side of meat being, whacked and punched um, <laughs> on a song about Mussolini and his mistress being hung up and, and beaten, uh, their bodies <laughs> being beaten. Um, you know, there are these times where he just goes directly to the thing. Like, literally, it is the thing that he is talking about, singing about. Um, whereas, yeah, Dylan is just like, you know, they both love, I think, something about these mythic moments and characters um where you know folk music for bob dylan is like like jim jones you know like being sent to your doom in in botany bay and you know dreaming of revenge um and you know it has this historical context and everything but it's it's all about like the human aspect of that and scott walker you know feels i think he wants to do that same thing and talk about those same things but instead of giving you this sweeping folkloric narrative through guitar and a, and, a, and a few lyrics um he he wants to try to figure out ways to use music to put you there and see the thing and hear the actual like gibbet in the wind and and look at the like the waves lapping at a pale corpse you know like he's (laughs) all about the actual like you know why not try to do that and um you know that's further than anyone else has gone i think you know that's full engagement with the project of turning this uh, rock music into something that goes so far just out of bounds that it circles back and is right there for you like you are just standing there these songs are a really interesting point where they really show the limit of of some you know traditional rock song writing and um, arrangement what happens when you saddle that with lyrics like this and i think he comes to realize that at least for himself that uh it it needs to be more about the lyrics and the music needs to be like oriented more and more toward the lyric. Uh, so I don't blame you for not feeling such a connection to <laughs> what's happening here. But certain of these sounds, you know, like they, they do imply something. Um, 
these these sort of production elements imply something, but they don't go as far as he later will. Sure. I love rock songs. <laughs> I know. I'm taking us. We had your episode no, about girls. Listen, and this is this exactly is, what I intended. I, I I think I warmed up a little bit at this point. So let's uh, let's warm it up to like what fifty thousand volts. Uh, with there you go. The electrician. I don't think we're going to talk much about the rest of the songs. Um, <laughs> you know, we will. We can t- we can touch on them later. But l- while we're rhythms of vision is the best song on the record. <laughs> <laughs> the electrician. Um, had you ever heard this song before? I hadn't. No, which I'm realizing now. This appears to be the the most. Pop, quote unquote popular song from the record, uh, at least judging by Spotify streams. Um, but uh, no, this was this was all brand new to me. What did you think of this song? This one was the most. Uh, it sort of took me the the longest to to crack and actually start to uh, appreciate because uh, the first three songs and there's only the four Scott songs are also the first three are so. Sonically interesting and Shut Out and Night Flights in particular are really just like, you know, uh, really groovy kind of tracks. Um, and this one is not that, right? This is a, more of an orchestral, uh, slower, atmospheric kind of piece um, that uh, has like got a little bit of the bells kind of sound to it, like yeah. bells of the song, and then explodes into this literal kind of symphony at, at a certain point. Um, so it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a grower. Um, but I was just listening to it today on the train and it, it really kind of, uh, kind of struck me a little bit. Like when those strings come in just out of nowhere, like you, you're not expecting them given the way this song sounds. Um, and then it just, uh, it goes from this like subterranean depths of hell kind of, uh, feeling to, uh, you know, this just clouds clearing and the sun shining and, and, you know, kind of the, the world being reborn all of a sudden. And then back again. And then back down. Exactly. Yeah. As a, a moody piece, uh, one could say. The song, I think, is really closer than the others to the the way that he will he will go on to approach songwriting. Um, this one 
some say that, or there's things in it that imply uh, that it's about the torture uh, uh, under the regime of uh, uh, Pinochet, um, and specifically someone being put under electric shock torture. And it Hmm. also could be about, and from the perspective of the person doing that, um, the person experiencing it and doing it, and it kind of goes back and forth, it seems. Um, And I think it's a little bit more compelling and interesting to think about it from the the idea that it's about the person enacting the the torture. It's it's sort of about... (sighs) Spiritus sanctus. He's driven through real, the spiritus uh, sanctus tonight, through the dark hip fog. Apparently dr- drilling, drilling through, through the spiritus sanctus, according to genius at least. Take it with a grain of salt. Drilling through, yeah. through the dark hip falls, screaming, oh you mambos, kill me and kill me and kill me. He's drilling through the spiritus sanctus If I jerk the handle, you'll die in your dreams. If I jerk the handle, jerk the handle, you'll thrill me and thrill me and thrill me. Yeah, and that I think there's a little bit of that double entendre sort of aspect that you're uh, referencing it's a there. Sado sexual. Yeah, exactly. Jerk the handle, you'll thrill me. Exactly. Talking about sending electricity through a screaming man. Die in her dream. It's like he's looking at like the unconscious, shaking body of somebody being put through incredible torture, and he's getting off on the idea that he has this kind of intimate relationship with him in that moment. It's really, and then that's where this enormous swelling, just the most beautiful moment on the entire record, bursts into view out of again out of nowhere. It has no sonic touch point earlier in the record or later in the record. Like this is it, and it's just like, uh, it's like, all right, <laughs> go off, King. <laughs>
seems to refer to, I think, the context of this song is... Yeah, the moment of death, the moment of release. The moment of orgasm. This guy dying and this guy getting off on the guy dying. Yeah. And, you know, this this moment of, like, whatever that is, you know, there's something about what he does, which is, you know, very close to what we've talked about with stuff that John Cale does, you know, especially on the Sabotage episode. And um, you're talking about stuff like Leaving It Up To You, a song which I feel is really close to some things that Scott Walker has done. Um, and especially this one, you know, inhabiting mm. the mind of somebody who's performing a cruel or insane act. Um, you know, it's very easy to just think of something as it would be scary, you know, to do that, um, to be like killing someone. But no, it wouldn't be scary to be the killer. It would be like this, like it would be that thing where that's the one moment where the killer is not unhappy. You know, he he's having this release, this ecstatic experience. Right. And this, you know, being about the electrician, it's it's about him having the, the, the killer having this ecstatic, joyful moment of killing, of um using that that beautiful but actually kind of treacly middle part, you know, that like that mm-hmm. symphonic section is sort of corny. You know, it's it's a little it's like too right. it's like a a painting of a cherub on on a, on a cloud and and a rainbow and it feels just like sort of like a stupid version of something beautiful. And it is beautiful in its own way too, but Thomas Kincaid. Yes, it has that like oversaturated, overblown thing. There's something about framing it the way it's framed, which kind of suggests that that's this person's idea of of beauty, right? Of ecstasy, which it, it's affecting emotionally, but it's also um, it doesn't have that other quality that you get at the beginning and end that which feels like like there's sort of just a low vibration that's always there and these other songs i think are they you know the songs before it they kind of play around with this in varying degrees but they don't go straight for it um they seem to take place a little bit in that space before and after you know that uh orchestral section in the electrician mm-hmm. in the sort of ambient hum of of the universe where he's sort of narrating certain things but uh the electrician like a certain other songs he'd do later puts you in the room and in the body and the mind of the person who's doing it yeah 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 it's uh <laughs> you know when it goes back to that same deep rumbling bass and that high trilling string. It's like the guy is not moving anymore and you you just, you see him there and then it's just going to be the next person to go in into the chair. Baby, it's slow 
When lights go low There's no help Yeah, it's it's cyclical. The the beginning and the end sound the same. It's the same lyrics, and it's punctuated by that middle section where you've got this different kind of verse, I guess we can call it, and then obviously the string section. But by the time you get to the end, you're back to the beginning. There's no help, no. Uh, it's bleak. Yeah. <laughs> with a song like The Electrician, you, I think, come away with it... Um, with a, a sort of, I mean, for me, a sense of awe and a, an appreciation for how deep this can go, uh, how far you can take this. And this is him in 1978 doing this. Um, right. You know, when you really just like take a step back and think about that, it is, I mean, that's why to me he's so important. Bowie, for example, that's where you see his influence really comes through to and trickles down. It trickles down in a way where like it raises the bar in ways that aren't obvious at first, but like he did this in 1978 and there's no way that didn't have an effect on what people thought they could do after whether they know these songs or not. You know, he's like an astronaut for, for this for for this type of music, for whatever type of music. Yeah. Well, that's the uh, that's the preamp. That's the basic shit to get started. <laughs> that's the intro. Now we're gonna get to the real stuff. <laughs> yeah, the next two are. Gary's songs, Death of Romance and Den Hay. They have this. <laughs> they're, they're fine. They're cute. The Death of Romance. One more glance <laughs> to the Death of Romance. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, it's just like. It's so funny. <laughs> Death of 
I'm a, honestly, I'm amazed that Scott would have allowed those first four songs to appear on a record with these six. <laughs> maybe he, maybe he wanted it to do to to be like that so that everyone could see just how uh, how far beyond uh, his peers he was going himself. It's the me. It's the dog me. It's the it's the really buff uh, uh, Shiba Inu, and then the fucking dopey looking one. In this book, um, the rhymes of goodbye, which is um, a, a nice book about uh, Scott Walker's whole discography. I think there's a thing about this record where it says like, "There's maybe not another example of a record that you find copies of it, and one side is nearly worn out." And the other side has literally never been played. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they got to invent a new category on discogs for like one side is NM near yeah. mint, and the other side is just like minus minus minus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> death of romance and Den Hag. Den Hag. Den Hag. I love Den Hag. Great. Sure, Den Haig. Yeah, I got nothing against it. Den Haig, Den Haig. You scare me good. Yeah, spooky song. Ooh, the, the first four songs. I think we just descended into the actual pitch blackness of the human heart, and now it's like a cardboard cutout of a ghost going boo <laughs> on the same record. Yeah, you you're know? just trapped in Dracula's castle, but it's actually real. Like Dracula is there and you are going to get your blood sucked yeah. by the end of it. It's <laughs> just like a fucking carny uh, in like some grease paint <laughs> and a cape from Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Haig. I, I still, I don't know. Dan Haig is my fifth favorite song on the record. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, you know, Den, what does Den Haig mean? Is that a, is that another language or something? I don't know. Um, I, I'm not very interested in the person singing these songs. He gets a couple good lines in here. Sure, there's some good lyrics. Like, <laughs> right? You know, he says, uh-huh. um, he says, uh, maybe it's maybe it's just in Den Haig. <laughs> you just like when he says Den Haig. Well, I loved when he says Den Haig. We were taken from behind by some flesh jabs. Mm-hmm. Two leaders really make you move. Look out for the Muff King with a big black whopper in a two-way mirror mood. Dan Haig. Clearly, he's just looking at looking at what Scott's doing, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna do some stuff like that too, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some kind of like crazy, weird stuff." You scare me <laughs> just- good, Dan Haig. <laughs> It's such like, a song about getting <laughs> fucked, but it's like a b- big black cock. I guess. Den Haig. 
Well, I mean, speaking of which, Rhythms of Vision is really... That's my favorite song on this record besides besides the actual good one. I don't think I've ever heard a more just like unnerving, disgusting way to refer to a pussy than her sacred stitch. Uh, <laughs> it's just that's so- yeah, that sucks. <laughs> that's starting off where I'm scrambling to think of someone other than James Joyce, who's an equivalent uh, lyrical talent. And by the end, it's it's like Johnny Bravo <laughs> having a, like a wet dream about fucking a witch or something. Uh, you've lost to the bitch. Rhythms of vision. <laughs> it's just like, okay. <laughs> All right. Nice one. Cool, dude. John. <laughs> nice one, man. John, why did you say bitch in that song? <laughs> It comes off as just like, why did you uh, say bitch? Whereas like Scott gets away with saying things that were, it's probably what he's actually talking about is so much more foul and, and intense um, on something like Fat Mama Kick. And um, John can't even really get out uh, throwing in a cuss word. Uh, I, yeah. The, uh... Disciples of Death, like coming on the Sounds same record so as The Electrician, <laughs> is, is one of those embarrassing things I can think of. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't even want to talk about these really. Fresh burns on a diamond star. have anything to say about disciples of death and fury and the fire in the fury and the fire there is nothing to say about fury child of the flames at the end it's it makes me boogie a little bit more i don't know yeah i knew you would like this one How long 
Can you survive? survive? Yeah, I want to dance it's, to it's it. It's fun. You know? It's it's you know it's cute. The golden axe. All of this shit reminds me of like Conan the Barbarian. By the time we get to the end of this, well, that Lou song where he talks about like a wizard or whatever. Ocean, yeah, Ocean, the warlock yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's like yeah. we and we called him out. For Dungeons it. and Dragons, yeah, Game it, of Thrones ass music. It's the province of somebody who has no nothing to imagine and who should just try imagining other things. Like, it's not like John and Gary, you know. Gary, I don't know what he's doing with Den Haig. Like, he's on his own. <laughs> but John, like... I respect it. I respect what Gary's up to. <laughs> Gary's little thing is very cute on this record, you know? Yeah. Like, Death of Romance and Den Haig are like the, like a little brother who's looking up at the song that just happened before him and uh, doing the old college try. Sure. And, and John comes across as like the... Um, like a cousin who uh, is a show-off and does not even... He just walks in the room fixing his hair and does not know, like, what's happening, but is like, uh, oh, cool, yeah, I'll I'll do it too. Yeah. You don't even need to flip the record, folks. It's a one-side record. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically all you, gotta, all you gotta worry about. Yeah, I mean... Maybe, maybe venture on to Den Haig when you're feeling adventurous, but... <laughs> I don't know if adventurous is the word. Yeah, I mean, you know, Den Haig... Den Haig. Den Haig. Den Haig. Den Haig. I like Den Haig. I like Den Haig, too. Honorable mention, it's a Jokerman Absolutely. song. Uh, Jokerman mindset, Den Haig. Totally. Um, and Death of Romance can stay, too. I think the rest of the, these songs. The How last, it's so funny that there's four at the end that are there's just There's just as many shit. of these fucking songs as there are Scott songs. And in the middle is like this little buffer. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is truly the bimbo in the book. Uh, if there ever was a record that it describes that idea that we put out there uh, of, you know, the the literary ambition in, in rock music and the... This is a... This is like not the worst thing. It's the worst thing where it's the bimbo who who doesn't even, who's not even just being uh, true to himself. He needs to just be a bimbo, and he's right. trying to be. He's trying he, to be the book. He's trying to get away with being the book, but he's he can't read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary can read though. He can read. Den Hag. Den Hag. Den Hag. How many Den Hags out of three do you give? I that? mean, this is a real like conundrum here because, yeah. like, obviously, it's a one, one... one star album. <laughs> I guess it's got to be two stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, obviously, it's three stars just because, like, it's as if you know, saying that it's one star or two would be like pointing at like a little, um, uh, I don't know, l- little barnacle on the side of a whale and ignoring that it's on the side of a whale sure you know this is these first four songs are mammoth they're they're incredible um they reward further listening and they they are i think influential in ways that maybe we'll never understand but i really believe it would be really different without this Give Scott Walker some time. Den Haig. <laughs> Move 
silver sun And give me some sky I've got me some wings I'm eager to try I may be unknown But wait till I float You're gonna hear from me Make me some room You people up there On top of the world I'll meet you, I swear I'm staking my claim Remember my name You're gonna hear from me Fortune smile On the road Listen well, you can't ignore me I've got a song that wants to be played Raise up the flag, begin my parade Then watch the world over Start coming up clover That's how it's gonna be You'll see 